Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Aaron Crane Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Last time I did my show, I brought in Rick Krosnick. That was the CDO of um, the JNF. And, you know, at the time, I didn't want to talk about anything Jewish or, or Israel because, you know, it's so polarizing. And I wanted this to be more of an inclusive show, I guess. But after October 7th, I felt that I had to do something and speak. So I'm continuing on that theme. But this time, I brought in somebody very cool who, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish or however you feel about politics or whatever, there is something in America that everybody can agree on that everybody loves, and that is the great game of baseball, which is very important to me because at one time I, I thought I could, I could make it in the bigs, like everybody does. But when you're 5'6 and Jewish, you know, this, the cards are stacked against you. So, but anyway, everybody, I want you to meet the ultra-talented, spectacularly hard-hitting, right? You hit a lot of home runs? Sure. Ryan LaVarnway, everybody. Here he is. Look at that. Hello. Can you believe it? That you would come down and, and sit with me at a studio like this? I am here. Yeah, you have the time. But thank you very much for, uh, for, uh, for, for joining with me today. So this is my first time talking to someone with a pedigree like yours. Well, first time, plus we had breakfast together. That's right. <laughs> how, was, how did you like your breakfast? I thought it was good. Denver omelet. Flying back to Denver today. I think it's pretty appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, you, 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 you ate a lot. It was, that was impressive. Yeah, I'm a big boy, and I, I like to joke. Uh, whenever I used to eat a lot at meals, my mom would always say, you're a growing boy. And now I'm not so much growing up anymore. Yeah. So it's great. It sucks how that happens when you start <laughs> growing out. But no, I thought my breakfast was good. I had um, not a big, a big, had huge portions there. Yeah. Not gonna give the name out of the place because I don't want to plug it. Just kidding. <laughs> no, but we we met uh, this morning at a at a JNF event. If anybody doesn't know, JNF stands for uh, Jewish National Fund, which is a great organization that supports Israel and doing a lot of great work on the ground there. And then they had asked Ryan, you to come speak, right? Yep. And by the way, your your speech was was spectacular. Thank you. It was really really uh, really good. I was very impressed. But let's let's take a step back and give a little background about about you. And listen, we don't have to talk about about Israel and the, that whole thing. But we what I'd really like to talk about is baseball. Sure. Because you know, look look, you see my back here. I got my um, Harry Carey, Fergie Jenkins. There was a Rod Carew, but I think my daughter broke it. <laughs> he was there because you know he's a Jew. Right? There you go. I only knew that he was Jewish because of the Adam Sandler song. I I have a. Nolan Arenado gold glove special edition bobblehead in my house because I, yeah. I worked for the Rockies in broadcasting this year. And my daughter, who turned 18 months yesterday, decided that the head should not bobble anymore and that the head should also no longer be attached anymore. So we have a, a Nolan Arenado head only. You know, what's up with Because you know, my daughter <laughs> does the same thing. I had like some nice ones, including Rod Carew, which I don't think, I think she took off Rod Carew's mitt and hand. So, um, <laughs> Only had you know Patrick Kane, Fergie Jenkins, and and uh, Harry Carey, and the, this ball actually. The Harry Carey one's cool. Yeah, isn't that cool? This ball, I actually caught this at the Cubs game, so this is like a legit ball. I don't believe you. Let you me don't? see. No, this no. is a Rawlings official league little league ball. Um, that's Synth right. With synthetic leather. Yeah, it was at the Cubs game. They're in a little league team. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> and not the Cubs though. No, I. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I meant to say that this is a a, a practice ball. Hmm. You can tell that right off that it's a synthetic. Oh yeah, I could, I, I could tell by the sheen on the leather. I could tell by the prints. Big league balls are hard to come by these days. Really? Yeah. Why is that? I think because they probably cost like twenty four dollars to produce. Um, you know, when when we're playing, we toss them out like candy. Right. All the, all the kids want a ball. Uh, did Did you see the movie Finding Nemo? Uh, I did. The scene where all the seagulls are trying to get the fish and they're like, mine, 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 right, 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 you know yeah. that scene? That is what it feels like to have a baseball near the stands wow. where there's kids. So that's a big deal then when you catch a ball. Yeah. Because I, I, maybe I've caught a ball at Wrigley Field when I was little, but people go crazy. It's like uh, you get really hurt <laughs> going after a ball, right? I still remember getting my first ball. I you was in college. I was at a game, a Braves game, and they tossed me the ball during BP. I was, you know, I was yelling at the fans like, or yelling at the players like I later hated. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because oh, you played being for the harassed. Braves. I ended up playing for the Braves, but I was in college at the time, and I was yelling. And I got a ball, and I remember I was so viscerally excited because mm -hmm. I had always wanted to get a ball that I like let out this guttural like yes. Uh, but I forgot how big I was by this point. <laughs> and always, sec security asked me to come calm down. 
And I was like, no, I'm just excited. I got a ball. Really? Yeah, yeah. Were you a big kid when you were when you were growing up? No, I was a late bloomer. Okay. I was a late bloomer. But you you when did you realize that you had had talent in in baseball? So like you, I was five years old when I decided I'm gonna make the big leagues. Yeah. But when I got to high school, I was just not good enough. Really? School, plain and simple. I I was you know I had a very very average arm. Okay. I, I wasn't good enough to play my own position at defense, mm -hmm. so I ended up playing zero games on the varsity team at my position. Wow. And and I was the slowest runner on every field. I'm so slow. You grew up in Southern California. Southern California. And listen, there's a lot of probably good lot of ball players around in Southern California. Yeah. So I was never the best player on on my high school team, but I played for the number three high school team in the country. We were nasty. Wow. Which what what high school was that? El Camino Real High School. Okay. We ended up I think with 15 guys go Division One. Wow. And only nine played at a time. So we were really good. Wow, it's competitive. Uh, and then I went to college at Yale where I was the best player on the field, but yeah. our team was awful. Because so, um, Yale's a big deal. I mean, Yale's a big deal, but not for baseball. Not for baseball. Not for okay, baseball. But in high school, did you, you know, did, did you have a conversation with your stuff? You said, geez, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue this. And your parents are like, eh, you know what, Ryan? I think you're a little too smart to be playing baseball, and you should no. use your skills elsewhere. Yeah, no, well, they're so encouraging. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm giving you the long version of this answer. You asked okay. when was when did I know that I had a chance? Okay, um, I always thought I had a chance, whether reality backed that up or not. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite rapper as I was growing up was Will Smith. Really? I know I'm a huge dork. It's fine, uh, but he had a lyric in one of his songs that said, "No plan B, it distracts from plan A." What song is that? In? Wild Wild West. I should have known you were. I don't know. I don't know the follow up. Welcome to, to yeah. Miami. Maybe. Oh, we'll have or to. Getting jiggy. I think there's a line from Getting Jiggy. You have a computer jiggy. right there. You're going to Google it while I tell the rest of the story. Okay. Okay. I, I, nothing was backing up the fact that I knew I was going to make the big leagues, but nobody really questioned me because it happened a lot from my area. People, right. People, people like, yeah. Everyone in Southern California, they, they all make the big leagues. I got to college and my sophomore year, I won the national batting title for Jeez. all of D1 and slugging. Um, and that's when I started getting attention from pro scouts for the first time. And it was also the first time that anyone ever doubted me. It was my, my college roommate, his parents, very serious people, right, as, okay. as you, parents at Yale will be. They said, well, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I said, well, I'm going to play baseball. And they kind of laughed at me. They're like, no, like, really? And I was like, no, really? But that was really the first time that I remember anyone even doubting me I just from the time I was five. That's incredible. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, we can start back in high school. So you didn't you didn't play on the varsity squad. You weren't like the stud player. I ended up playing left field my senior year on the varsity. Okay. Because they wanted to get my bat in the lineup. I had learned how to hit finally, but I couldn't play anywhere else. So you know, you were a, a slugger then, right? By the by, my senior year, I was. But how do you, how do you learn to become a slugger? I mean, because listen, I'm a slugger. You know, according to my, to me, you know, I can get. I, there was a guy in here who said, you know, everybody can can go to the fast cages and make contact. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I saw myself as just, I, you know, I had enough bat speed or, you know, upper, a strong upper body strength. But how how is that's not a skill that you can just sort of like pick up a bat one day and say I'm going to start hitting, you know, some meatballs. Or you can hit pick up the spin on a curveball. Yeah. And make contact and, and put it in play. So, I, I do a lot of keynote speaking, a lot of coaching mm -hmm. on mindset now, and I've overcome a lot of failure in my in my life and at this point I can look back and find a turning point conversation that I had in high school it didn't feel like a turning point at the time but you know now you can look back and sure. in retrospect mm -hmm. because my high school team was so good and I was never the best player I had a lot of feelings of inadequacy I had a lot of feelings of wow. I'm not good enough and we had moved into the district so that I could go to this high school so that I could play for this coach coach Matt LaCour he had won LA Times, California State Coach of the Year twice in my tenure there. And going into my senior year, we were getting ready for practice. And, and this is the, the coach, right? He's the guy that gets everything out of you and you don't like it, mm -hmm. right? You, you've seen this coach in the movies. He pounds you. He pounds you. He gets the best out of you. But you just you hate him. You respect him. Can't stand him. You know you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, the guy who's like the practice is like you're not you're not playing to win on that one game it's like what's what's coming up yeah. next it's always he, he's like the not, guy we don't we don't practice to win on sundays right he's the guy that that makes you run sprints even after you win because you should have won by more <laughs> that guy so he's asking rhetorically right he's not expecting an answer he says who's going to hit fourth for us this year boys mm -hmm. and i'm i'm so desperate for this man's attention number one and i so gutturally know the answer is not me but i'm desperate for his attention so i raise my hand and i kind of like hey 
Why not me? When I know, I'm expecting him to say, because you're the slowest runner on the field, because you're not good enough to play your own position. There's someone in your grade better than you. Uh, because your arm is average. But I'm these expecting were, him. To these, were, these were feelings you had about yourself. These right? are all my self-doubts. Okay. And I'm expecting him to confirm them. Uh-huh. Instead, he kind of leans in, crosses his arms, and very simply says, why not you? And he walks away. And that's it. And like now, 20 years later, I can say that was a turning point. Wow. But at the time, it just started planted a seed in my head where I started doubting my own doubts. Huh. So going forward in practice, it was like, well, I'm not doing very good. Well, why not me? And when I started comparing myself to others more, well, well, why not me? And then I got up in a big situation. I'll never forget against Chatsworth, our rival high school. Well, why not me? And I hit a game-winning homer. And then we got wow. to the we got to the state championship at Dodger Stadium. Well, why not me? And scouts started noticing me for the first time. I went from a guy that didn't make varsity to now I'm all conference. Why not me? Wow. And you start you start to get this rallying cry of of questioning what you perceived were limitations, and you realized that what you thought was realistic before was actually holding you back. Wow, I'm I geez, all right, the interview's over. <laughs> that that's incredible to have that self-awareness and, and confidence in yourself because you know listen, I have a lot of self-doubt. And I attribute a lot of it to, you know, you know, the Jewish experience carries with it a lot of, you know, you'll never be a baseball player because you're Jewish. You'll never be good at sports because you're Jewish. And that sort of carries over to a lot of other things in life. But, you know, or, you know, I come from a family. My, my dad was a doctor. My brother became an orthopedic surgeon. So everybody's very smart. And I have my own self-doubt, which is maybe I'm not smart enough. But to hear that you overcame that just by from that one coach, does he know that that was that influential in your turning point in your life? You know what? I don't know. Because... Uh I've I've parsed through a lot of my my understanding looking backwards. Yeah, you know, as perspective will will give you understanding. I went back recently. They retired my number at the high school. It was very nice of them to do. And I went back to speak. They have a new coach, mm-hmm. and and Coach Lacour, uh, he wasn't there. He did send a message though, and this is uh, and you know what? I agree with exactly what he said. What did he say? He said I still think Sammy Donabedian was our best catcher. Then that was your is that your that was the guy. And you know what? I was like at the time, you're right. I agree. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's incredible. So, but not only are you, you're able to swing the bat though, because obviously you do well in school, Yeah. right? To get into Yale, you don't have to, you can't just have a good, you know, you can't be able to hit a good inside out swing. You have to be able to get some good grades. Yeah. All right. So you, you excelled in in school as well. That come, that came a little bit more naturally. Um, I think my parents always said, you know, we don't care what grades you get as long as you do your best. Really? And and, you know, all these studies are coming out. You, you hear Huberman talking about it all the time where if you praise effort, kids will get better grades than if you praise the actual grades themselves. And I think my parents just naturally always praised effort. Between them praising effort and making effort a value in itself and the fact that I always felt like an underdog, I learned how to work harder than anybody else and it just came natural. And I assume that that mentality was also worked well for you in, in baseball to just oh, yeah. to out-hustle and outwork and show up early and take a few extra, you know, wax the ball, yeah. a few extra, you know, shag a few extra fly balls. I think, I think in that regard, being a late bloomer ended up being a, a huge blessing for me because I always had to work harder because I was overlooked or, or undervalued. And I retired from baseball this past season and my wife got me this wonderful, wonderful, it's, it's called like the best of legacy um, scrapbook basically, but it's a scrapbook on like steroids. Mm-hmm. You open it's you know, it's huge. You open it, it's got an iPad screen on the front that plays your highlights uh, from your major league career. Uh, and then it has newspaper clippings from, from, for me, it ha- from all the way back in high school, all the way through the minors, all the way through the big leagues. And she, she gave it to me. And as I'm reading through some of these articles, the thing that stu- stood out was that every coach I ever had in almost every article talked about, number one, how unlikely it was that I was having the success that it was. And number two, that my success had to be because I was the hardest worker they'd ever had. Wow, and that made me feel that made me feel better than than the success itself, uh, because it you know I worked for so hard I yeah. feel like I earned it. That that's that's incredible, to, to overcome that that self, especially in, in a game like baseball, which is like so incredibly competitive and failure based and failure based. I mean that's 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 Brian, you're a deep guy. I'm impressive <laughs> that self awareness. Philosophy major, bro. Were you a philosophy major? <laughs> yeah. So, because you know, so you, you go to school, you be a philosophy major. No one ever tells you, you know what, Ryan. Maybe philosophy isn't the greatest 
choice for you know long-term <laughs> success in the business world yeah. being the philosophy major like what the hell are you going to do with that but you know you play baseball which which so i assume maybe you just said you know what i'm all in on baseball yeah so you know school was school ever secondary to you or was it always focus 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 on baseball i think i got good at understanding it's baseball time and then now it's school time and that's the one thing they did a good job of at yale was uh not overlapping i never had to miss a class for a game if we had heavy exam periods or a lot of papers due, the coaches understood, like, okay, we're going to pull back on practice a little bit. And that's probably why Yale was ranked 270th out of 271 when I was there in, the, oh, in wow. D1. We weren't, we weren't an amazing team. Uh, they've done much better recently. Then, I mean, uh, beyond, you know, Yale being Yale, having that air of, of a great school, why did you, why don't you go to a, a better baseball school? Just because you couldn't, nobody you know, wanted. No me. one wanted you. No one wanted me. I got recruited uh, to Yale, Harvard, Dartmouth, Cornell, and UC Davis. Good lord, man! And that's it. And the Harvard guy was was not very nice on the phone. We don't need to get into it. No, but you should get into that because no, you know what? Screw them. You, you want to get into it? The, I I I asked the Harvard guy. I said, you know what? Harvard sounds kind of hard. He was recruiting me, and you know what he said? He said, "Son, you should call me son." He patronizingly, he patronizingly like called me son. So we have a lot of the best minds in the world, and we also have a lot of guys like you. We'll find a way to get you through. And I was like, I'm smart enough to know I'm not interested in coming to your school anymore. Wow. So that was that. Uh, Dartmouth re recruited me uh, and then called me on December 1st and asked if I was ready to commit and if I enjoyed my visit. And I was like, well, I didn't take a visit. They're like, yeah, you did. I was like, okay, this is not organized. Um, and UC Davis was transitioning from D2 to D1. Okay. And in my head, I rationalized that that meant they were going to get their butt kicked for a few years. And I didn't want to necessarily be a part of that so Yale was really my only baseball option wow that, that's amazing good thing you didn't go to UC Davis that school's got like ravage anti-semitism and, huh. and horrible things going on in that part of the world you know that, that campus is like a, a hotbed of of anti-semitism and, and terrible things but now Harvard seems to be that place too yeah well y listen Yale was lucky to have you I mean did you, you did good things for their team I loved my time there I, I rewrote the record book uh, had, really? had, a, had, a, had a great time yeah. What records did uh, did you smash over there at Yale? I think it was hits, doubles, homers, extra base hits, RBIs, Jeez. average slugging on base, Good stud on career, campus. career home runs, hit streak, wow. everything, but anything that doesn't involve running fast. That, that's interesting. You couldn't run because like, but being like who you are, that you you work on your swing. Yeah. You ever worked on running running fast or becoming that guy? I have worked on running fast more than fast people. And. And it's just, just not, not in the cards for me. Even with your mindset that you can overcome anything. So, yeah. So I, I told you about how my high school mentality became why not you. After my freshman year of college, I played very average freshman year. I hit maybe 296, which in college, you know, hitting 300 in the big leagues would be incredible. Hitting right. 300 in college is like par for the course. Wow. My freshman year, I hit 296. I ended up with a stress fracture in my leg. Mm -hmm. And after the, the season, I saw our first baseman, Mark Sawyer. He was awarded all Ivy League first baseman. And I thought to myself, that sounds cool. I want to win all Ivy League. And I had this mantra, why not me? So I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win all Ivy League. And I told our hitting coach, I said, Coach Glenn, I'm going to win all Ivy League. And he looked at me, and he gave me the next, like, lightning bolt moment that I look back on. He said, why not more? Wow. And, and he said, uh, why would you stop at all Ivy League when you should win All-American? Look at all this positive reinforcement you get in your life. That's, you know, yeah. it really works. So, so I took his, his why not more. And I tried to embody what I envisioned an All-American would do. You know, you know, I went to college summer ball. I was like, how would an All-American work out right now? And I would go work out. How would an All-American take this batting practice? What kind of focus would they have? And I tried to do that. And then I, I was watching. You remember that TV show Dragon Ball Z? I do not. So it was like anime. It was like one of the first popular anime cartoons to make it okay. to the States. It was okay. on Cartoon Network. And they could like fly somehow or float. I don't really remember, but they would always, right before they would fight, you know, it was Kung Fu or karate or mm -hmm. some, something, and they would say, let me take off my weighted clothing for this battle. So I was like, man, what if I had weighted clothing? And I ended up buying a weight vest that was 20 pounds, but it formed fit like a scuba suit, and I wore it under my shirt every second I was awake for two months. Wow. Whether I was going to class, mm -hmm. whether I was in the dining hall, working out at practice, I had a weight vest on under my shirt. And, like, my, my teammates would, like, bro out and, like, sock me in the abs because my sure. abs were steel plates at okay. the time. But by the time I got to my sophomore season, I went from hitting 296 my freshman year to now having all this undeniable sweat and blood 
and effort stacked up that you can't argue with the work that I've done. And I knew it. And I was like, I deserve to play better than everyone because I've worked harder than everyone. And I go into the year and I start the season with a 25-game hit streak. Mm. And my, my roommate at the time was like, do you know you're on pace to break, like, every record in the record book? Does he say that to you? And you're like, oh, come on, you can't say that to me. Now you've, like, cursed me. No, he said that to me, and I was like, I don't know what any of the records are. Let's, let's set the goals. So then we started, like, a countdown chart. Wow. I was like, all right, I need 22 more doubles. All right, I need 10 more homers. All right, I, and I need this, I need that. And then in, instead of avoiding thinking about my goals, I focused on my goals. And... As they got closer, I started feeling a little bit of momentum. And as you get closer to goals, you end up running faster towards them. Minus the running fast part. The, yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, but running fast, really, even with the weight vest, the, the, the speed yeah. never, never, the 40, what do you run, the 40-yard dash? The, the baseball, you run the 60-yard dash because that's the distance from home to second. Yeah. Um, but during those times, right, I would have the weight vest. I was, I was working harder than anyone else. I would get with the sprint coach on the Yale track team who, mm -hmm. who was an Olympian himself. Him and I met one-on-one. -on -one at 5 a.m. before early workouts, before dining hall, before class. So we're the first ones up. Him and I met one-on-one. -on -one. My form is actually really good. I just don't have any giddy-up behind it. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't believe that. I bet you're really fast, but... No, no, no. I'm really slow. I'm, I truly am. My, uh, my in-laws were at a spring training game yeah. in Fort Myers, and you know all the Boston fans come down. And they're sitting in the family section, and there's, Jesus, this guy runs like a truck. Oh, my God. <laughs> that must be hard dealing with that kind of, you know, fans who can say horrible things and get away with it. Does that, does that play into your mindset at all, or are you able to sort of block them out? No, you try not to listen. Honestly, it's harder to ignore fans that are funny than it is to ignore fans that right, say you suck. Right, some, when someone says something clever. Yeah, if they that say you, you suck, you're like, yeah, I've been told I suck by 50,000 yeah, people at once. Easy, yeah. But when they make you laugh, it's hard to swing and laugh at the same time. Okay, so you know you're breaking all these records and you got a good swing, but still you have to have some. There has to be some talent there. Yeah. You know, before to just build on that. But as a little kid, I mean, you were you able to pick up, you know, hit, make a lot of contact, and, and were you, even though you know that you're in comparative to other people, I mean, you had to have some talent. Yeah, no, down. in Little League I made all-star teams, but, like, lots of people make Little League all-star teams. Yeah, I think I made the all-star teams. Yeah, so, no, I made um, Little League all-star teams. what DYBA is all about. Yeah, no, it was good. I had a, I had a base. I always played. I, I loved playing, so I was always hungry for more. My, my sister and I would play home run derby in front of the house with those little 18-inch uh, bats they sure. give out at the stadiums and tennis balls. Um, I was just always doing it. I always loved it. But even – so you say you have this, you know, insane drive and mentality, but I, I would assume, you know, everybody at Yale or anybody who wants to – be in the bigs probably has that sort of mentality as well, right? What do you think made yours, I don't want to say better, but, you know, were you more focused or you, you had more belief in yourself? You were able know. to take that self-doubt and really channel that into to really say, believing that you were better than, than the other? Because it's a competitive world in, it is in competitive. sports. Yeah, no, um, I think you get into the pro game, there's, there's part of it that's opportunity, there's part of it that's luck, there's part of it that's drive. There's part of it that's talent, but it's not all talent. Um, I don't know. I, I'd say that for me, it's it's focusing on my on my goals and what I do want what was a main driver. You know, you know when you walk down the street and you're in a good mood, you notice more people are smiling at you. Sure. You notice when you, when you sing uh, the Prince song, "Little Red Corvette." Yeah. You notice little red cars everywhere. Sure. That they're always there. It's just whether you notice them or not. Yeah, you know it, that's funny because Neil, you know Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's yeah. like the, he he was talking about. That like when you run into someone on the street, that like oh like why does that always happen? And he, he sort of had like a different perspective on. It. He said, well think about all the times you're walking down the street and you don't know yeah. anybody. So that you know, is it like you just notice that because it, it sticks out? Are you do you really see the real red Corvette more often than not, or when that song is on, or is it just because you're you're focused? Because you're primed. You're primed to it. So uh, social psychology calls it um, predictive encoding. Or, you know, the technical term for it is the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Sure, that's what I was going to call it's it. It's called value tagging. I mean, there's a hundred names for it, but ultimately it's a passive phenomenon most of the time. I feel like the biggest difference between the mindset that I've adopted and, and allowing that to be passive is I focus on what I do want so that I start to notice more opportunities to get there. That is an unbelievable mindset. I need to work on that. Are there, there are like other skills or practices like mantras you say to yourself and you know, things you repeat to yourself over and over again to make you, you get into that headspace? Or is it, is it that a muscle that you had to train and learn? Honestly, or you know what? I, it is, a, I think it is a muscle and it's, 
it's just like with gratitude. It's just like with seeing the flip side of the coin. And maybe it's because that's how my brain works. Like I'm a contrarian. The, the first thing I think of when I see a bad situation was where could the bright side even be? Right? It's not, it's not about it always being sunshine and rainbows, but if you can recognize that there might be a positive side to it, just the recognition is enough. So anytime I was sent down from the matrix, I was fired from my dream job 26 times. Jeez. Sent down, traded, released 26 times. Every time, it's hard, right? It sucks. I'm not going to say that I'd, I enjoy failure, but then I, I think of that Rocky Balboa quote, right? You're going to get knocked down. Nothing's going to knock you down harder than life. It's not about getting knocked down. It's about getting back up. And I talked about your, your career because did not get fired 26 times. Don't you say after like the fifth time, <laughs> maybe after the, even the second time, like, geez, maybe this isn't for me, but you were able to stick with it because you just believed in yourself that much or you just knew you had more to give in terms of a, of a baseball career? Yeah, I, I, I always thought that as long as I thought there was more in the, uh, left in the tank, I was going to keep going. As long as I thought I could still play better baseball and I was still getting better, I was always trying to grow. Um, it's always trying to run faster. There you go. Um, and not getting any faster. And though. not getting any faster, unfortunately, uh, until my daughter was born. And I got traded for the last time when she was nine days old. And then finally I had something else that to me felt like it was more important. Wow. Well, let's let's talk about your, your career if we can. You were drafted by the Boston Red Boston Sox. Red Sox. And, and what year was that? 2008 in the sixth round. Okay. Um, and that must have been super exciting. I mean, was that like the realization of a worthwhile dream? Yes and no. I, I broke my wrist against Harvard. Two, Ugh, Harvard two again. I know. Kill, killing me. Two weeks before the draft, I, I had been, you know, had. How'd you do that? Break your wrist. I was, I was so slow that I was on second base. Uh, my, my roommate hit a single to center field. My coach sent me. I was thrown out at home by 12 steps, and instead of just letting him tag me out, I'm uber competitive. I tried to jump over this catcher's head, and I land. You that move. Yeah, what an idiot. And I land on my wrist, break my wrist. I played three games on a broken wrist, Wow. Uh, refusing to accept that it was broken, and then ended up getting surgery eight days before the draft. You know, I broke my arm playing baseball, but, so we have that in common. But I broke my arm um, trying to steal home on a wild pitch, and I, you know, and slide, yep. put my arm down to, to brace myself, and I stood up, and my like my left arm was like, <laughs> like a gooseneck. I think that was probably the end of my baseball career. So it was illustrious, you know, and I think I was safe. I'd like to think I was. I was definitely out. You're definitely out. Well, listen, I could have told you as a coach that move. Did your coach be like, Never "What's the matter with you, Ryan? Dude, who does?" I'm like, does "Why that? did you send me?" Yeah, <laughs> and you know I'm the slowest guy. Yeah, on where's the team. that guy now? Is he? Does he have a job? He just. You know what? He coached at Yale for 30 years. Uh, he just retired last year, I think. Okay. Um, you know, because the Cubs had a had a third base coach who was like infamous for making bad calls. You know, I, I think I can't think of his name. Gary Matthews, maybe He's, he was the batting coach. But he was like, oh, send Wendell uh, Wendell's. It was like send him Wendell. It was like his send him Wendell. Yeah, and he was always making these like terrible decisions to send players, and they were out by by a mile. All right, so you get you get drafted though, nonetheless, with a broken wrist to the to Red the, Sox. To the Red Sox. I mean, and still though, that must have been like it was awesome, crazy it was awesome. awesome. Yeah, I can yeah. only imagine how how good that must have felt. About all hard work, it's like finally. Yeah, now we got a chance. Notice, and, and you get to the minor leagues, and you realize, wow, now the hard start right. part starts. Like they narrow down that competition. They only take people the best. Don't, of the best. People don't realize that even if you get drafted and you get to play pro ball, only sixteen percent of those guys play one day in the big leagues. Wow, so the odds are against you that yeah. you're going to have success in the bigs, but. You were able to look past that, right, and say you're not going to focus on that. Focus yeah, on, so what I, what I focused on was, okay, it, when I got to my first spring training, I was very intimidated. There was... Who was on that on that squad? Uh, Jason Veritek was the starter. Big name. Kevin Cash, who's now the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, he was the backup. And then there was two or three AAA catchers, two or three AA catchers, high A, low A, short season, rookie ball, and me. So there's 25 catchers in spring training and t over 200 players overall. And I, I'm looking around, and I, I was very intimidated. I was like, how am I supposed to beat all these people out? Until I realized I'm not really competing with most of these people. Like, it takes years to get to the major leagues. If I go to single A, I'm competing with the single A catchers only. The double A catchers, they're at another level. That's not my concern. Don't focus on them. Focus on what I can control. And that, that ended up really helping me when I did get to AAA because in 2011, um, I ended up hitting 34 home runs, 100 and 
twelve something RBIs, two ninety six, and all the Boston newspapers are calling for like Lavarnway's pounding down the door. Call him up. Call him up. We need we need this guy. But I was like, where am I gonna go? It's Jason Veritek and it's David Ortiz. Like those guys are legends. Yeah. Like I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. I'm not worrying about that at all until 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 I go there and then I'll worry about that. So I learned learning how to focus on on being where my feet are really, really helped me early on. So you're just like just you have to be so present in the moment of again, like you say, controlling what you can control. You can only really control yourself and how you perform on the field and, and what kind of uh, performance you can give on the field, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the professional game is such a business, and it's such a, you know, you talk about what's the difference. A good AAA player could be a replacement player in the big leagues easily. Really, the talent level from an average to below average major leaguer to an average to above average AAA player is very, very, very minimal. Almost right. You almost wouldn't notice. Mm -hmm. and, and the real difference is consistency. Like the, the talent level is there for both of them. It's, you know, this guy's going to be his best on six days out of 10, and this guy's going to be his best on five days out of 10. I see. It's very, very minimal. It's really only the big league all stars, the superstars that actually stand out. And, you know, they need another league almost. So if you're in AAA and you're worried about all these other guys and you're trying to compare yourself to, like, well, that guy that they have in, in Arizona I'm better than or that guy in, in, you know, Miami I could play better than him, it's not doing you any good. Because just because you think you're better than him, you're going to drive yourself crazy and you're, they're not going to hear you say, I'm better than this guy and then sign you. That would be insane. Right. So it's really about controlling what you can control and controlling what's going to help you perform your best. But isn't that a, such a mind game, though? Because it's so hard not to compare yourself to others. Because, you know, baseball is so stats-oriented. You yeah. compare your stats against how you're performing against the other guys. You know, who's going to start? Well, he, you know, he did better, like you said, five five days of the week, six days of the week. Yeah. Like that, those are such – you comp you're comparing yourself. How do you how do you then – how are you able to put that behind you and, and not focus on that? Because for me, I'm thinking about myself. Like, geez, I would be caught up comparing myself yeah. to everybody and, and saying there's just no way I, I just don't have that mindset where I could, I could turn that off yeah prove it that's simple prove it prove it the stats on the back of your baseball card don't lie that's right and it doesn't care about context it doesn't care about whether you and your girlfriend had a fight it's, it's, uh, you struck out three times at the end of the year you can't argue you played 100 and some odd games 120 140 games like if you're better than the other guy prove it and if you proved it last year Prove it again this year. And is that the mindset, like in the in the clubhouse or in the locker room? Like, there's the, you know, what do the coaches say to you? Because they, and they, I mean, everybody's probably so competitive to get that 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 call up. Then how how do they coach that? What what's what's sort of the, you know, I don't want to say the the mindset that they coach you when you get to that level. Yeah. That because everybody's so close. Yeah. Right. So the AAA coaching is is more of a precarious balance. There's the you know prove it. If, if you're good enough, your time will come. Or if you're good enough, they'll find you. Or if you don't like it, play better. And then if a guy is doing everything he needs to do, and this is what I heard a lot that year that I heard that I hit 34 home runs, there's a lot of, well, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing it. Because you're good for a week, great. You're good for a month, great. You're good for a year. Maybe it's not your opportunity. You're good for two years, can't, can't be ignored. So yeah, either... That's true. Either don't like it, play better, or keep doing what you're doing until your time comes. But to have the patience then and say, but geez, I'm doing everything. I've hit 34 home runs. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. killing it on, you know, what, what more can I do? Do you ever get to that point where you say, so that, that is, a, you talk about precarious. What more can I do ends up, you try to do extra. Baseball is not a try hard sport. It's not like football where you go harder, you run, a, you run a person over, you tackle someone. You try harder, you swing harder. You get recruit Strike the big more. muscles. Yeah, you end up missing more. So it's a delicate balance of understanding what makes you good and doing that and not more, not less. That's why baseball, I think, is such a, a fascinating sport and different from everything else. Because it, sure, it's a team sport, but it's so individually based yeah. that you're right. If you swing harder, chances are you're going to miss more. So to have that, that like sort of that, I don't know, there's probably a philosophy about, about the mindset of baseball. It's very different from other sports. Because you know, hitting a, a ball is is tough. It's hard, but it's all mental. Then I would assume there's so much more of a mental aspect of it that I think a lot of people get gets missed because you see these guys and they're just like crushing it every time. You don't think like, geez, do they have those days where they're they have self doubt? 
Mm-hmm. Right? Does Derek Jeter ever think, geez, I'm not good enough, or I'm, I don't deserve this, or, or have those you know emotions? Then you must. Right? Yeah. No. Every, everyone goes through, and we're all human. It's the best of the best are the ones that minimize the downs and maximize the highs. And baseball is a sport where you go in streaks, right? You can be yeah. in, in a having a low point for a long time, and you and you think you know, the solution is to swing harder, try more, and then it just doesn't work out. But then something happens, right? You make contact, and and that changes the momentum instantly. Yeah. Right. Ted Williams wrote a book, The Science of Hitting, that I read five times in middle school. I, I absolutely love this book. And he described it better one, than anyone I've ever heard. And I, I'll probably botch it. But something to the effect of when you're going really well, your body knows what it's doing and your brain can relax until your brain relaxes too much and your body goes on autopilot and starts going wrong. And then you start overthinking it and your body starts trying harder until you realize that that is not helping and your body relaxes and you're focusing on the right thing and you start to do well again until your mind starts to ease off and the cycle starts again. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's really just a sweet spot. You know, you yeah. find it. I think I compare it to like creativity for me. If I'm, you know, have my camera and I'm taking pictures, if I'm trying to force it and like search for really hard front to find that creative spark, it never, it never comes. But there'll be moments when I'm like sort of like doing nothing or thinking about something else where I can feel it and they have to take advantage of it right away, right? So how do you capitalize on that, that feeling in baseball and make that last yeah. to a point where, you know, scouts take notice or you're hitting, you're doing really well. Yeah. I, I have started doing leadership coaching since I retired from baseball and I've partnered with a really, really brilliant woman. Her name's Jackie Insinger. Uh, she wrote this book called Spark Brilliance and I facilitated her program, the Spark Brilliance Leadership Accelerator. And in module five, we talked... <laughs> This is this is not a plug. I think she'll listen and be like, "This is not an intentional plug, but it, I think it's a really good, no, it's great relevant, point." So go um, she talks about finding your spark, what makes you special, what makes Aaron the most Aaronist version of Aaron that makes everyone around you light up. Also, yeah, well, listen, I don't think anybody's interested. You know what the I mean? But like, what makes Ryan? Imagine? What makes Ryan the most Ryanist Ryan? Okay, that makes everyone around me spark up and light up. Also, and it's the where something that feels essential to you and who you are, something that feels effortless easy to do, and it feels also energizing. The, the, the combination of those threes. And there's times where something feels really important to you, it's essential, uh, but it feels hard. That's not it. Or there's something that you love to do, but it doesn't feel, you don't feel connected to it. So I, I, I relate this back to the sports world because that's what I understand. And what made me good was, you know, I'm trying to hit a line drive to right center field, one hop the wall. And then I accidentally end up with a homer to left. Right? But, but Everybody has their version of that. Like, what is the input you got to put on the computer to get out, to get the robot of your body to do what you want it to do? And it's it's what feels essential to you, what feels energizing, and what feels effortless. And that that feeling, though, I mean, that, that's a muscle, right? We talked about yeah. having a muscle before that you you become self aware that you can work out that muscle all the time. Because for me personally, you know, I don't think I'm I've figured it out yet. You know, I know it's there, like yeah. crea- creativity, talking to a microphone, doing other yeah. stuff, social media, whatever. And I've worked with other people who've said very similar things. You have to find not what you're passionate about, but what really you connect with. Yeah. Otherwise, the other stuff, you're like an energy vampire. You suck the energy out of the room. And, you know, it happens with, you know, daily life of doing tedious things. You're like, Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I think I felt that a lot, you know, in the early days of being a lawyer. Yeah. But, you know, in sports, it's just that's got to be so focused. I mean, so heightened because it's, you know, it's you've committed now to baseball. Yep. You're all in. And, you know, you know, careers can are cut short. Yeah. Things happen. So you got to capitalize on those on those moments. So batting practice is such a great metaphor to me because it would be easy when somebody is 45 feet away. They're they're purposely trying to lob it over the middle. What I see bad players doing is hitting home runs the whole time, putting on a show for the fans. But the the one of my teammates that was has made the Hall of Fame so far, and I hope there's a lot more. David Ortiz had the exact same routine every day. And he knew that that was what was going to make him successful. He could launch balls 500 feet every single pitch if he wanted to in batting practice. But that's not what that's for. Batting practice is for preparation. It's not to make you feel good. It's not to entertain the fans. So his first round, he would hit line drives the opposite way, right down the line. Does he focus only on that? Focus only on that, no matter where the pitch was. Second round, he would go to opposite field up the middle then you go down the middle then you go to right and then the last round on the last round only then it's a feel good let's get sexy let's try to hit that red seat out in Fenway Park but you could count it you know one of the other teammates I think that will make the Hall of Fame Freddie Freeman 
He only hits line drives up the middle every single time in BP. He never releases the barrel. And like releasing the barrel is where you hit the sweet spot where it really flies. He, he has the self-restraint and the self-discipline to not do that ever even once in batting practice because he knows those homers don't count. And yeah, then chicks dig the long ball, so it's hard to... Right, but then in come game time, now, now he's trained himself to do the thing that's going to make him successful. Freddie, he played. Fo- he plays in on the Braves. Uh, we were in Atlanta together before he went to L.A. Wow, that that's amazing. Because and I would assume David Ortiz is probably a pretty good teammate to have, Big, big Poppy, right? Yeah, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, he's uh, he's become like a personality. He's like beloved everywhere that guy goes. Well, he's the guy that you know you're teammates with and you're supposedly peers, but like you know we are different. He's just so yeah. much cooler than everybody in the room at all times. Who who else? So what? Just getting back to to your career. I mean, you you won. A World Series, right? You with Boston. On, with yeah. Boston in 2013. Was that the year of um, Roger Clemens had the bloody uh, no. bloody ankle? No. No, I think it was Kurt Schilling with Kurt the bloody Schilling, ankle. Yeah, Kurt Schilling. I want to say that was 04. Okay. See, I. They You're all, close. They all right blend there. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I was only focused on the Cubs winning the World Series. They so did eventually. They did eventually. Taking someone from Boston and following their. Taking a lot of our Boston yeah, people. Yeah, following their. Um, their playbook. Yeah. I thank God for Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein could have been like the mayor of this town. He, he could have done whatever he wanted, that guy. Unbelievable. Is he, he wasn't, like, where'd he go? He wasn't a Yale guy, was he? He was. He was. Is he there when you were? He's older than you, I'd assume. He drafted me. He was the GM of the Sox to draft me. Look, that's a crazy yeah. part of the story yeah. that you got drafted by Theo Epstein. Yeah, when I when I got drafted, I heard him in the background like, hey, is that the Yale kid? Let me talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, un- unbelievable, that guy. He's, he's, he's like figured it out, how to build championship teams. Yeah. And to be able to play with him, I mean, that's pretty cool. That's like uh, another Yale guy, Craig Breslow, is now the, I think it's chief of baseball ops. I don't know if it's GM, but it's one of those similar titles with Boston. He just got the job. We were teammates in Boston and on Team Israel. Um, and when they brought him in, they're like, oh, they, they're joking. They're like, yeah, it's another nerd from Yale to run the Red Sox. And he's like, yeah, but this nerd also won a World Series. That's hilarious. Uh, you know, I think of that scene in um, the movie with Brad Pitt and uh, Jonah Hill. Yeah, uh, Moneyball. How you like them apples? Yeah, I like them apples. Well, that's from Good oh, Will different Hunting. movie. Good Hunting. But you know, they brought in Jonah Hill, who was like yeah. the nerdy guy, and, and you know, and um, who was the the coach of Oakland? Billy Bean. Billy you're Bean. thinking yeah, of and trained. David Forrest. Yeah, th- but that you know, because baseball is such a thinking man sport. Yeah, I played for them too. Did you for yeah. Billy Bean? What was that like? He wasn't around so much, um, and I think I did the opposite of benefited from their overthinking. Do you think um, Brad Pitt? Was a good cast for Billy. Does Billy Bean doesn't look anything like Brad Pitt? I don't know that I personally know Billy Bean, but I'm sure that Billy Bean appreciates that casting call. Right. That's funny. Who do you think would play you in the uh, the Ryan Lavarnway story? I have honestly, I I have heard Channing Tatum a lot. I'd go for that. Yeah. When I, I when I you know get lean or or bulk up yeah. or whatever a certain way. I get um who's that guy um Flowrider. Not Florida, the guy who's that? Um, Bulldog, Pitbull. Pitbull. Right, I get that a lot. I might have had a shade that right. and a bigger. I was bigger back in my day. You need to wear more expensive suits. No, <laughs> no, I won't put on a suit again. <laughs> uh, you want to take? I mean, you must be hot under that wool sweater there, or wool jacket. Yeah, no, you got some nice lights in here. Um, all right. So, winning a World Series though, because that's that's an exclusive club, right? Yeah. And you have the ring with you, and can, can you show us? Show me yeah. the ring because that is that is really cool. You just carry it around in your pocket just in well, case anybody. Well, I had an I had an event today that you were at. That's right. There you go. Wow, look at that. You ever like wear it out? I mean, typically, you know, it's a little it's a little heavy and bulky to yeah. to wear. I mostly wear it for events like today. Yeah. Once once a year, my father in law likes to wear it to the bar, and he kind of has his hand up on his face like this the whole time. I mean, if you're in Boston walking around with this, I mean, it must be free meals wherever you go. Everyone wants to buy you a drink. I was I was not the most popular player on the team. You know, Johnny Gomes, John Lester, yeah. David Ross. Those guys okay. probably, yeah. Was Veritek on there? Veritek. No, I think Veritek was. Yeah, um, Veritek Euclid. Was, was Euclid? Euclid. I'm getting confused also, with, no. the, with that yeah. earlier team. Those, those were the earlier teams. Um, I do get my rental car upgraded often if I wear it when I, when I land at the airport. There you go. That's a nice perk. Yeah. And then... Getting into the, the Israeli baseball thing because the World Baseball Classic I remember watching it was was really really exciting. Yeah, and I watched the the you know the documentary on you guys, which was outstanding. Heading home, coming home, heading home. So prior to that, that year was 2017. Yes. You know, were you raised you know Jewish in a Jewish home? 
go to go to shul, keep the Sabbath. That kind no, of stuff. I was I was not. I was I was raised half and half and and Hallmark. I, I joke okay. in my in the kids book that I wrote. I say what what's the rhyme? My parents uh, his parents let him choose this path. They said you can be either, uh, but feeling like he was half and half made him feel like he was neither. Wow, jeez, Ryan. Did AI write that, or did you write that? I wrote, I, well, I wrote it, and then my wife cleaned it up a little that's, bit. That's, say that again. I, I want to get that nice and clear into the microphone, because that'll, be, that'll for sure going on social media. So you better get it right. No pressure. Yeah, I wish I, I, wish I had the book here with me. Well, would you, let's plug that book. The I, book, I, uh, Baseball and Belonging. It's on Amazon. Check it out. Written by Ryan LaFarmley. Levar- Le- there you go. That's great. So you were, you were raised neither. Very, I was raised neither. But at some point, you, you felt... A calling or a connection, or you you were searching for meaning. Because I think everybody, I know I went through that. Yeah. Where you say, "Geez, what is this all about? What does life mean? Is can I find answers in yeah. in religion?" Yeah. Well, in high school, I started searching for more. Right. I I, I bought the like um, Zen Buddhism for Dummies book, and mm-hmm. I was meditating in my room with a little tiny Buddha I picked up at CVS. I was going to temple with a friend's mom um, because she needed someone to drive her, and I needed an excuse to have someone to go with. Wait a minute, because. Because I spent my childhood going to temple, going to shul. Yeah. And I, you know, I was like everybody else. I hated it. <laughs> I don't, you know, nobody really, as far as I could tell, really liked being there. But you sought it out, right? You, I sought you, it out. I, I, I craved meaning. I, I was like, well, wh- why, why behind everything? And maybe that's why I ended up majoring in philosophy because I was always searching for the why behind things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I loved it. I loved going. I, I felt, you know, a deep spiritual connection to it. I also, you know, loved doing yoga and got a pseudo type of religious experience out of that at the time until I really got connected with my own identity and, and spirituality later on. So, but so that the first sort of interaction you had, was it you go on a high holidays, you just go to like a Shabbat service. What, what was the context of you going? Oh, the first time, if you remember, I don't remember. I don't remember the like first what, times. What was my the first? Portion? My first, <laughs> yeah, my first couple memories looking back are: I got my license, and I was driving my mom's 1994 Dodge Caravan. It was blue with the wood paneling on the sides. And by this time, by the time I was 16, it was 2003 or 2004. So the the car was 10 years old mm-hmm. at this point, and we're driving and. One of the like Nelly and the Saint Lunatic songs comes on right as I pull onto the highway, and it starts with a police siren. And I remember that me and Mrs. Ashmore in the car both panic that I'm getting pulled over because it's like my first time driving. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh my god, I almost wrecked because of the Nelly song. Mm-hmm. So I remember that. I don't remember the service much other than I enjoyed it. You did enjoy it. Like, I did you, enjoy you, it. You connected to it. I did enjoy it. And then I remember one of the f- one of the first maybe half dozen services I went to. They brought in a local church choir to sing holiday songs, and it was super powerful to hear the that kind of music. Yeah, that's interesting because I grew up going to a reform synagogue called um, Am Shalom, and they had um, on the high holidays they'd bring in a, you know a choir. Yeah, and I remember saying, "Geez, that seems very un-Jewish." They have <laughs> you know these people wearing like the robes. It seemed yeah. very like like it was church, but at the same time. Because I, you know, subsequently I've gone to more religious right. places. I've gone to a lot of Chabad. I was married by a Chabad rabbi, so I've seen both. And you know that authenticity of of like just the, on Shabbat with the cantor singing or chanting the prayers or the choir. You know, they both have their their space. But you know, I never felt connected really to either of them. Even though I did s- seek it out when I was younger. You know, I gave it I gave it the old college try. But you know, and I think of my family. You know, my 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 dad was always called himself an agnostic, though they were both you know both Jewish. My mom was never bar mitzvah. My dad like tells a joke that during his bar mitzvah they put like the English translation alliteration of, of in his in the Torah because he didn't, couldn't read a, a lick of, of Hebrew. And I you know I think I got by it, but still like I understood. I learned all the prayers and all that, but I never felt connected to it. But you went even not knowing really anything, and you still it spoke to you. One of the things I love about Judaism is that there are so many different ways to be Jewish. And, you know, may some of the Orthodox might argue that there is a right way to be Jewish. But in general, my feeling is that there's no right and wrong way. It's what, what works for you, right? It's, it's a bloodline. It's a, it's a race. It's also a culture with its own food. It's also a country that is related to it very much so, but also not completely necessary to be Jewish. You know, there, uh, again, some others might argue that point as well. Mm-hmm. But 
the the community aspect spoke to me really early on uh, on being a member of this community and and being embraced and I think in, in the kids book you know the kids book is my story it's uh, more than anything I felt a growing sense of pride people said you're one of us welcome to the tribe and that being embraced by the community meant so much to me uh, that I, f I felt like I had a place I could belong did you go to any religious training did you like enroll in like a in any you know Hebrew school or Sunday school to go to Ulpan and try to learn Hebrew or any of those no, traditional I, you know Jewish learnings no I've, I've flirted with the idea of maybe doing an adult bar mitzvah at some point oh um, you haven't been bar mitzvah I have not been bar mitzvah oh, we should, you should definitely have a bar mitzvah yeah. get a few extra bucks you know my <laughs> can you imagine yeah two dollar bills yeah I'll get I'll get eighteen dollar checks take it you get is Israel bonds that was always like the you know, the biggest disappointment as a kid went to bar mitzvah like Uncle uh, Shlomo got you Israel bonds You're like great what can, what can I can do with this. <laughs> Meanwhile, those see, taught me. Meanwhile, those turned out to be very important because you know yeah. when you mature, it's like suddenly you have a few bucks in the bank and you do something with that. But I think you should you should you should look into that. My uh, my rabbi in Denver, who sports fans, he, he always mentions this to me that he also bar mitzvahed Alex Bregman in Albuquerque. There you go. Uh, but my rabbi in Denver, uh, he gives me some you know a lot of private education, especially now as I'm speaking a lot in the in the Jewish community and being a very public Jew. He he him and I work one-on-one -on, -one on a lot of the meaning a lot of why things are important uh, and he's helped me understand but we do we do uh flirt around with the idea of an adult bar mitzvah listen i i was bar mitzvah and um i remember my torah portion was uh, about yetze but beyond what it was about i think maybe it was part of um jacob in the technicolor dream coat i couldn't tell you uh, i couldn't say i couldn't say a word of it because that's how much it meant to me at the time but it's yeah. stupid i wish i wish i did remember because having that connection is, is important because I went through a lot of my life not feeling connected, but then you know something like October seventh happens, and you know, you, so you search for the, the, the silver lining and things. Yeah. It did sort of ignite the Jewish community. Like suddenly, people like me, who never wanted to talk about it, especially into a microphone, was now I felt you know empowered to talk about it. Like I had no other choice. It, yeah. was, it was like a calling. Did but prior to October seventh, you were still this October seventh wasn't the catalyst that really brought you to start speaking at events like JNF and things like that. You've done that prior, right? You'd already... So I've been talking about my journey to find my Jewish identity, my spirituality through following my passion for a couple of years now. It, that really started with Team Israel Baseball and and honestly speaking, started with that film that you saw, Heading Home. Mm -hmm. I traveled around with the film. I did Q&As and as Jews will do, they would voice their opinion afterwards. They would say, Ryan, you don't need the movie to do this. You should share your story with everybody. That's why I wrote the kids book. My rabbi was, he found out that I was speaking to audiences and he thought the story was important to share with a younger audience before people choose who they're going to be, right? As kids, you need a role model that has chosen Judaism on purpose. Uh, and, and that can be someone that you can follow their path. October 7th, to me, it made me pop my head out even more because as baseball players, we don't speak about politics. We don't speak about a lot of things. And, 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 and I've been in the, the Times of Israel twice in the last 30 days. And that not baseball players not taking politics or being so vocal about it, that, that's like a conscious choice that, that Major League Baseball sort of hints to you or, or says they don't overtly say, you know, I, I, think it's athletes in, I think it's athletes in general, right? A lot of athletes, you know, you're not going to see a lot of athletes campaigning for the next president. That's just not what we do. Sure. People don't look to athletes for that. And I, I, that's interesting because I think a lot of people want to look to the athletes for that to find answers. And I think athletes are, for the most part, probably pretty good at saying, you know what, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a baseball player. I'm not, yeah. not going to throw my hat in the ring because it never works out well because there's always someone who disagrees with you. Right. Right. And sort of sends you in, in, a, in a really bad path in terms of, Getting, getting into it, right? So you focus on, on what you're good at. But you chose to sort of put yourself out there as, you know, a Jewish baseball player. Well, right? and, and again, I'm, I'm not commenting on the political piece. I don't know what the answers are. Um, you don't think we'll solve them during this conversation? Uh, I, I don't think we're going to solve them during this conversation. But my goal is to, is to give people hope and remind them that they're not alone. And when we have this community and when this community speaks up and supports each other, that makes everyone feel more connected. That makes everyone feel like they can breathe again. And, and that's what I see my role in this whole messaging being is I'm not trying to, to talk politics. I'm not trying to solve the hostage situation because I can't. That's, that's for people that have been elected. That's for people that are smarter than me. But what I can do is stand up and say, I'm here. And I'm here for you. And, and I'll be here for you. 
and, and we're all here for each other. That's great. And baseball, you know, is that distraction, I think, where you don't have to think yeah. about, you know, how scary life can be. If you can just focus on baseball, which is you know, a few hours of, of Jesus, Ryan LeVar, are going to make contact today and, and steal yeah, bases? Yeah, still so slow. Still so slow. He's still, like, chugging <laughs> around the bases. Like, Come on, Ryan. He still runs like a truck. <laughs> um, but, Phil, being in that, that baseball team of 2017, that was, like, a very transformative role, I think, for, uh, for all the players on that team. Like, yeah. didn't feel connected to Israel. Suddenly, it's like, wow. It was sort of eye-opening, especially watching it from my perspective with how they how yeah. were reacting to it. It was, it was also the first time we had ever been on a team Really, I had never been on a team with any other Jewish players in professional baseball, and we, you know, we talked about the business of baseball. It's not always forgiving. It's not always friendly. If you're not the guy that gets picked or that gets the opportunity, you're the one that gets overlooked and passed by by someone that is arguably not better than you. We had a lot of those guys on the team, and when we showed up to the World Baseball Classic, we were called the Jamaican bobsled team of baseball. You know, and I saw that. I thought I thought that was a mistake to call you guys that because the Jamaican bobsled team was loved. I mean, they were like uh, eventually, eventually, they were laughed at when they walked in the door. That's true. It turns out we That's really true. were the Jamaican bobsled team of baseball because we became the Cinderella story that everybody rooted for and everybody loved, and people still are like, "Oh man, I love that team," yeah. whether they're Jewish or not. So it ended up coming true. Uh, but they also called us the bad news bears that had no business being there, and that may have been the best thing that ever happened to us because. What it did was, uh, and we had, we didn't get into this, but the third the third three word question that for me changed my career and changed my life is when I was on teams that were underrated, and those teams really rallied around why not us. You call us the Jamaican bobsled team. You call us the Bad News Bears. We hear why not us, and now we are unified with one single vision and a common enemy. And yeah. why not us turned into we'll show you. That's, you you would think people who write those articles would know better because I feel like that never pans out for them when they when they label someone as like that yeah. the losers but because then they always end up kicking their ass and I'll show you <laughs> right well the the controversy is is what gets people to click so that's that's, that's the media environment we live in that's true so you know you you you, st you stay connected to Israel to this day you know you've been back I assume a few times since since the movie or since the baseball game yeah and but you guys didn't win that you in you, that tournament was in Korea. Korea right. and then Tokyo, and we came in sixth. About, which is bad, right? Take it. Israel was ranked 42nd at there the time. There you go. So, and listen, you gave a lot of hope to people like me, who said, "Geez, there, you know, there are Jews in baseball." Because yeah. you, you know, you, point, you pointed out in that movie, the scene in the airplane. You know, when they're like walking around, and she's like, "I'll just take some light reading." And she like gives her the like the little pamphlet of yeah. uh, Jews and Jews and sports. Yeah. It's like three pages yeah. long, not even. Because you know, you think of the big names, Sandy Koufax. I thought of Alex Bregman. He he was important. I remember when he was Hank Greenberg. Hank Greenberg, Rod Carew. Yeah. So someone at the end of the movie says, and and I was there when he said it, but I I, I was a listener, not a sayer. Said the same way that our parents looked up to Sandy Koufax and wanted to be him, somebody might watch our team and want to be us. One hundred percent. That's for and, sure. And it's starting to come true, because I spoke at the JNF Global Conference two weeks ago in Denver, and. I'm wearing a similar suit to what I have on now. I'm basically in, in street clothes, nondescript, no name tag. And as I walk in, there's two high school baseball players that say, Ryan, are you speaking today? I'm coming to your session. I saw Team Israel play in 2017, and it has been my goal to play for Team Israel ever since that day. How about that? It's pretty cool. That's amazing. Does Israel still only have one baseball field in the whole country? No, our tournament winnings and uh, donor funds have built two more fields, and they're breaking ground on a third, or they, they had plans to break ground on a third. And Israel is going to host the European Championships for the first time in 2025 because they finally have the facilities. That's amazing. I think that's still going to happen with all the shit that's going on. Uh, I hope so. I, I hope know. so, too, yeah. because it'd be, it's not fair. If if it falls apart for political and and yeah. violence reason, but Brian, listen, I, you know you you worried about what we're going to talk about. We've been talking now for how long? Let's see, you know, over just over an hour. So um, yeah, we probably said it all. There you go. What do you think? I enjoyed it. You still you still playing any uh, any ball? I played a, I played in the European Championships, and now my wife is like, she's had enough. Are you done? Well, she's been so supportive. I I could never say a bad word. But she says. Well, let me turn off the, micro let me turn says, off the microphone, and then you can say. She says that I say I'm retired, and then I played in Australia, and I played in Republic, Czech Republic. So, so but let's talk about your wife, because that's because that's an interesting aspect of baseball to yeah. have that support system. Because amazing, being a baseball player is not you're not nine to five at home to see the kids every day. <laughs> Correct. That's it, it's a life of hotel rooms, 
and working out and folks so focused on baseball to have a, someone support you like that is incredible. My wife and I have been together since 2010, uh, married since 2013, but we moved in together during the 2011 season. Since then, I have moved across the country 56 times chasing this dream. Worn 28 different uniforms, you know, played on four continents, whatever. She's been with me for every move. It takes a, a special kind of person, a special kind of support to not only be with me, but to take on the responsibility of all the logistics of the making a new lease, breaking the old lease, getting the electric, turning off the old electric, getting internet, water, power, moving, packing. She took care of all of that so that I could focus on playing my best. That's amazing. Yeah. You're a lucky guy to have Big me. shout out. I don't, I, I don't know if she'll listen this deep into that or not, but listen. if she I is. I doubt if anybody will get to our in two <laughs> minutes, but you maybe you could fast forward and say, honey, listen, this is a part where Aaron asked about, about you, and I said a lot of good things, so maybe you sh should listen to that part. There you go. Here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll pull out a part for social media, and I'll send it to her. And say, look look what Ryan said to you about you. There you go. Um, that's that's amazing because you know, that being a, a moving around, I mean, that's, that's tough. And you, you have kids now. We do now, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. That's probably been a transformative uh, experience for you as well. Little girl, that's the reason I uh, decided to move on. But have you moved on? I mean, <laughs> so you just said you were playing in magic. Music. Magic question. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, because I have three little girls, and and they look at me and they see what I do, and you know they they love you unconditionally, and and but they don't care. You know, at the end of the day, if you hit a home run or not. Correct. So it's a that's an, uh, an amazing thing. You know, they just you know always be daddy's girl. Dad, you know, dad, you be yeah, daddy, yeah. girl, yeah. dad. So they always take care of you. That's that's nice. You gonna have any any more kids? No, just the one. Just she's, the one. She's perfect. So we nothing don't need else. Anymore. You want to make an announcement on this podcast? That, <laughs> yeah, uh, can you imagine? Yeah, your wife's like, wait, Brian, what was that? I'm not pregnant. No, you should have more. You'll probably have more girls like me. Like I had, I have three girls, and I knew after the second, I was it was gonna be another girl. <laughs> right? That's how it goes. All right. Well, Ryan, anything else you want to um, you want to plug the, the the kids book? Yeah, check out uh, Baseball and Belonging. Uh, we still have time for holidays and holiday gifts. You can find it on Amazon. Or uh, great, a great Hanukkah gift. Great Hanukkah gift. Yeah, I don't uh, know how quickly you'll get this episode out, but um, probably I, not very fast. Everybody, everybody that's that's read it has really enjoyed it, Jewish or not. So I, I hope people enjoy it, and I hope they take something from Wh it. Why did you decide to write a, write a kids book? Uh, I was I was given the speech, and my rabbi said I should. Wow, and you're like, yeah, I can do that. Well, and you all know my what? Free time of traveling and focusing it's, on you business. know what? It took a lot. It took a lot of effort. I, 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 because because it came from an adult audience speech, there was more intricacy, more layers, more messages, mm -hmm. and I really had to boil it down to well, what's the one message I want to make? Because in a kids book, it's you've got to keep it simple. Um, is it uh, animated or is it got it's, uh, it's, um, pictures? It's illustrated, and I was so lucky uh, to get to work with my illustrator. His name's Chris Brown, not the music artist, um, but he is the official artist for the. Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. Oh wow! So he's super talented, and uh, he believed in the story, and you know he he That's did cool. it. It was his first kids book too. So the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. I mean, I went to I went to college in Louisiana, so I'm trying to think who who would be in that Hall of Fame. Peyton Manning, Peyton Archie Manning, Manning for sure. I know he's done art with them. Drew Brees. Drew Brees. No baseball team down there in Louisiana, New Orleans. Uh, they had the the baby cakes for a little while, Triple A team. Cakes. Then it was it was first it was the Zephyrs, then yeah, it was the baby right, the cakes. I yeah, the Zephyrs. I, you know, because I you know I went to Tulane. Yeah, Tulane was a big a big baseball school. You know how many baseball games I went Tulane baseball games I went to? Zero. Zero. <laughs> you know how many football games I went to? One. Because I think that year my they had Sean King. Remember that guy Sean King? He was like he led Tulane to like a undefeated season. He was drafted by Tampa Bay. And then he won the Super Bowl. And then he got injured. I think that was the end of it. There you go. There you go. But uh, beyond that, I couldn't tell you one person who played on. Uh, the Tulane uh, baseball team, but they were good. And Josh Zide. Josh Zide. Hey, he was a guy on. He don't talk about that in the movie, does he? No, I just, he's my best friend now from Team Israel. So he went to Tulane. I think so. Wow, he's a good guy then. I like that guy even more. I'm gonna get a Josh Zide jersey. There you go. All right, listen, we're running out of things to say, and we got to get you to the airport. Got to, you know, got a flight to catch. Get back to Denver. Do you um, you work for the Rockies? They, they, they treat you nice. Yeah, I, I broadcasted for them last year, and we'll see. Uh, we don't know who's going to put their games on TV next year because of the whole regional sports network. Uh, they got a good team? Not last year. No. Hopefully they'll be better next year. That's a cool stadium out there. Malik, it's beautiful, yeah. You ever take any, any BP out there and, and crush the ball? I, well, I had a home run there when I was a Brave. Okay. 2015. Left-handed pitcher. Who? 
don't hold me to this right now. Okay. okay I'll turn to Mike when you can tell me. <laughs> Left-handed pitcher. And what year was that? 2015. See, I wouldn't know anybody. Jason Marquis. Don't we know that name because he was in the movie? Jason Marquis. Jason Marquis. Is he really Jewish, that guy? Yeah. Please. It's pretty loose about what, what to get onto the Israeli team in terms of Judaism. But that's, uh, they have to do it that way. Otherwise, they really have nobody. See? You know, you're, you're like, Aaron, no gas in the tank, buddy. Turn <laughs> off, this part, I can never turn off the microphone. But there is one last thing we have to do because when my daughter was in here, she said, Dad, here's how I want you to end every show. You have to look into the, into the camera and you have to say, stay calm and slay on. Ooh, nice. So that's, I don't know if that's like what it, that even means. It's like Gen Z talk. You, and you got to turn on your camera so that you so can you, stare you right like you, so, J, so Ryan, you look right there. I'm going to say your catchphrase. Yeah, do it. St stay calm and slay on. Yeah, maybe that can be a baseball <laughs> chant for Ryan oh, LeVarne Way. That felt so sleazy, the, the way that I just did that. Right? It's, what does that even mean? I don't know. It's weird. My daughter doesn't, you know, she's TikTok generation. That's where she learns everything, which is scary. Anyway, see, I can't turn the microphone. I just want to keep sticking it up into the mic. So we said it all. All right, Ryan, listen, I appreciate you sitting down with me. I know you're a busy guy. You don't want to waste your time with a schlub like me talking nonsense. Um, but I appreciate it, really. Speak your name. You ever hear that before? We speak your names? We speak your name. Yeah, Ryan LaVarnway. The famous number 32? Six. Number six. 36. Okay. 36. Oh, that's a good number. You've got my jersey right behind you. Yeah, should we? Where'd you put it? <laughs> All right. So the way that you sign off, right? You, you say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. For, oh and yeah. we'll see you next time. Oh, you're teaching you this in broadcasting school. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I could see. Look at that. That's sweet. Right? 36. Double high. Double high. I could wear this one. I don't know where I'd wear it to, but I could wear it. Anyway, Ryan, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for uh, having you're me. You're a good guy. Your, your speech today, JNF, was fantastic. All right, so he's looking at me like, geez, Aaron, that's enough already. But thank you, Ryan. Again, I'll say it, I can't say it enough. Um, I hope you enjoyed this and got something out of it. We'll see. Some, I think we did. Sure. All right, here we go. Ready? Stay calm and slay on. So at the same time? Ready to go. Stay, stay calm. And am I saying it at the same time? No. You, you go. I already say, said it once. I'll say it again. I'm going to make sure I got it good for social media. <laughs> I'll show my daughter. See, look. See, look. Jada, Ryan LaVarno. This is how said. we're going to end the episode. All right, this is this has been the Aaron Crane show. Aaron Crane podcast. This has been this has been the Aaron Crane podcast. Stay calm and slay on. Thanks, Ryan. All right.